Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, I have Rian Lanigan, who is a young, fast-moving, up-and-coming marketeer who has been doing amazing work within the Sandler Network. He's the son of Paul Lanigan, who's a good friend of mine within Sandler. In fact, Paul was the first person I contacted within Sandler 16 years ago before I even signed up to become a franchisee. And in the last couple of years, Rian's been involved with Paul's business and completely transformed his marketing. And frankly, it's slightly embarrassing that uh, someone so depressingly young is quite so talented. So Rian, would you mind just giving a quick intro to who you are and the kind of work that you do? That is probably the best introduction I've ever done or something before. As Marcus says, I'm Rian, the son of Paul Lanigan, who was the first franchise owner outside of North America, if I have my facts correct. I started working in the Santa world 2016, having just moved back from a working holiday in Australia. Worked with my father for a couple of months exclusively and had the opportunity to speak at a Sandler conference in front of 50, 60 Sandler franchise owners. As a result of that, I started working with a couple of UK franchise owners. Fast forward 18 months and I now work with the global CEO of Sandler and a couple of other franchise owners in North America and EMEA. That's me in a nutshell. Excellent. So a pretty meteoric rise, and you're dealing with people who are not necessarily that easy, being one of those folks. So help me understand this. Why is it that people make so many blundering mistakes with their marketing? They're not focused on it. It's not a priority. A lot of marketing can result in a lot of no pay time activity, and that is not something a lot of business owners want to spend their time on, and they want to spend their time on pay time activity. So they either hand it off to their nephew or niece who <laughs> need an internship, whether in yes, school or their son or daughter as well. And marketing falls into the, I don't really care about bracket. Fair point. So you've got a number of tips for the audience. So what's your first tip? So my first tip, I have a different name on the mock because I'm all about titles. So the first tip is if you don't have their attention, you don't have a business. Fair point. Tell us about that. This is one of the most crucial, if not not most crucial step in all 10 tips. And it's about getting people's attention. Because before you get anybody to take action or engage with your content, you must first have their attention. So a couple of tips on how to get people's attention. It all boils down to the title. If you think of newspaper articles, they grab your attention with titles, engaging titles emotionally engaging titles. So a couple of tips in terms of generating really, really good titles I have. I'm going to teach you in 90 seconds or less how to become a title guru. Okay. It's what I started doing and continue to do to this day. So over the next 30 days, I want you to make a commitment to yourself that you're going to do the following activities. However you consume your content, whether it's through the BBC News app or your Facebook or LinkedIn feed, I want you to pick three articles every single day when you wake up in the morning and write down three alternative titles to those articles. I want you to get, then go to three people that you know and trust that can be honest with you and ask them which one of those three alternative titles that you created would they pick. Every single day, do this for 30 days, and I guarantee you at the end of it, 
you'll be what I call a total guru. However, I'm aware that it's not 30 days from now. So a couple of tips on how to get there if you're starting from nothing. One title typically works and generates a lot of eyeballs is lists. So what I mean by that is creating a title around top 12, top 10, top 6, top 6 global sales enablement gurus that you should be following on LinkedIn. I wouldn't go anything above 12 as the engagement rate drops off considerably. Another great title example is if I had a magic wand, dot, 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 you fill in the rest. So number one, if you don't have their attention, you don't have a business. Very good. Okay, well, that's fantastic advice. And the exercise is a really good one. Very simple to execute, to get into the discipline of doing that. Okay, so your second tip. My second tip is, if they're not engaging with you, who are they engaging with? So going back to the first tip on generating titles, now that we have their attention, we want them to engage with us. So there's three tips I have in terms of how to grab people's attention to make them engage with you more. Before I get into those, the first one is daily connections. So looking at LinkedIn, using LinkedIn as an example here, every single day, I encourage all my clients to connect to 30 people, 30 of the right people. So a typical person that my client would like to connect with will be a business owner or a vice president of sales. So every single day, going onto LinkedIn and connecting with 30 of those business owners or vice presidents of sales. Is that 30 contact attempts or 30 actual connections? 30 contact attempts. And what I'll do is I'll share a file with you of a connection request template that I use that has got 92% acceptance rate. Fabulous. You can share with the listeners as well. So now that you're connecting with the right people daily, what they're going to do is they're going to start seeing your content And once you've nailed titles, you want them then to engage with it. So there's two things I do to get people to engage with my content. Number one is I encourage them to comment on my content. And if any of you who are listening to this who have followed the likes of Marcus or myself on LinkedIn, you'll notice that we will always encourage people to comment on our content. The reason we're doing this is... Well, two specific reasons we're doing this. One, we want to generate more eyeballs on our content. So if a sales director from a company in Red, based in Reading comments on Marcus's content, the LinkedIn algorithm will show Marcus's content to more of the sales director's fans. So more and more and more people are seeing the content. And then the second one is the LinkedIn algorithm works in a way of points. So it is one point for a like, two points for a comment, and three points for a share. So the more points that you can rack up in a specific amount of time, the more chance you have of going viral or the more number of eyeballs that are going to see your content. Going back to my first one on daily connections, the reason we want to connect with the right people is we want the right people to see and consume and engage with our content. So if you match daily connections with commenting on your content and work with the LinkedIn algorithm, you'll see a huge change in the number of people engaging with your content. And then the second one in terms of how to encourage people to engage with your content is thought-provoking questions. So that would be the likes of, if we focus on hiring, what makes a good sales manager versus a bad sales manager? And you can think of a question in your world that will get people thinking and ask them, get people thinking to comment below 
and the more comments you see, you can then get in contact with those people with less comments and build a relationship. So to summarize, two tips, thought-provoking questions and commenting on content, but don't do either of them if you're not willing to connect with, I say, 30 people a day because that's 15 minutes it takes to connect with 30 people every single day. I think it's also very important to understand LinkedIn's business model. LinkedIn makes money from eyeballs on adverts. And the reason they promote good content that is engaging and attractive is because it's more eyeballs, which means more adverts, which means more money. So whichever social media platform you're using, make sure you always have the platform owner's business model in mind. So with your YouTube videos, what they want is people to come to the site, watch a video all the way to the end, and then either come back or watch more videos in that one sitting. And you need to understand that because the problem is that if you're trying to create content which you find attractive, but no one else does, the platform owners are not going to promote your content. Exactly. You couldn't have said it better in terms of YouTube, the example you use there, working with the business and knowing how the business changes over time is massively important. So if we backtrack to 24 months ago, YouTube had a model around or PC, which is revenue per click. So every time someone clicked on a video and watched it, if the person had their ad revenue switched on, they were getting revenue from that. YouTube noticed that a lot of people were creating short videos to get people to click on videos and as a result, making more money. And they've changed their approach within the last 18 months to be watch time. So specifically based around watch time. So what you'll notice now is quite a lot of the larger YouTubers are creating longer videos and encouraging you to stay on watch the rest of it by revealing whatever it is at the end, towards the end of the video. That's a really interesting point. Okay, so tip number three. Tip number three is nobody likes to be told what to do, so here's what you don't do. And what I'm referencing here is all around videos. I see more and more and more people create videos and post videos and I absolutely love it. But there's four things you should refrain from doing if you're going to post videos. So number one is bad lighting. Refrain from having bad lighting in your video. So what tips I have in that area, I have a tip for both if you're shooting video indoors and if you're shooting videos outdoors. If you're shooting videos indoors, you don't want to have, you don't want to be standing with your back to the window as you'll come out as a silhouette. You want to be standing with your side to the window. And if need be, I'll put a flip chart to the left-hand side and your shoulders to the right-hand side of the window so that your left-hand side of your body is being lit up. Now, before I get to technical, let's move on to the outdoors. And that's, that acts as a reflector. Exactly. That's the reflector. If you're outdoors, the one tip I have here is the timing of your video. In the morning, there's a blue tint off your video and people, without knowing how, they'll just be able to notice that you shot your video in the early morning. So the best time to shoot a video when you're outdoors is between half five and half six in the morning. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's absolutely perfect if your name is Marcus Kauke. But if your name is... I'd have been out for hours by then. If your name is Ree Lanigan and your alarm goes off at 6.45 in the morning, you've just missed the bracket. So for those who wake up at a similar time to myself, 
half four to half five in the evening. That evening light does the same thing. People believe you're up at half five to half six. Fortunately, I've just told everyone my secret. So everyone knows that I'm not up at that time. And the second one is bad audio. It's another reason for people to stop watching videos and you just don't want to give it to them. So the tip I have here is to go to your local electronic store. And if you're in the UK, there's Argos is a great example. And for any US listeners, Walmart is a great example. So go on Amazon. Amazon, exactly. And while you're on Amazon, buy Marcus's book. Um, (laughs) Standing ovulation. (laughs) So a clip-on mic costs about 30 to 40 pounds and it will make a huge difference. You can work with any smartphone and any well-built camera. And the third tip I have in terms of what not to do when it comes to videos is don't have a shaky video. There's a couple of videos that as soon as I see, I just scroll past because I'm not a huge fan. And again, I'm not the only one on that boat. And that makes you seasick. Say that again, Marcus? If you feel seasick. Exactly. Two of those videos are one, a video in a car, and the second one is someone walking, talking with their phone held out and the camera, without you knowing, your hand is not a built stabilizer. So your hand shakes, whether it's minimal or uh, a lot compared to who you are. I would encourage you to go out to your local electronic store and buy a stabilizer. Now, if you have a camera that's two to three years old and worth about 500 pounds or more, you have inbuilt stabilization. If not, and like myself, you use your phone, what I would encourage you to do is to buy something like the DJI Osmo Mobile. What it does, simply, it just stabilizes your videos and makes it look smooth. So yeah, avoid shaky videos as you're giving people another reason to stop watching your videos. So the fourth and final tip is don't ramble. Far too many people just open up the camera and talk for, for no reason whatsoever with no call to action. So tell a story. Know your beginning, know your hook line at the start, have your added value content in the middle and have a call to action at the end. So when it comes to not rambling, the best tip I ever received was actually from my father, the Pixar movie organization. Any good movie they've ever created follows five steps. In the beginning, something happened because of that, because of that, and as a result of that. So think of any Pixar movie that you know, Liam Neeson Taken is a great example that I always reference. In the beginning, what you're doing is you're setting a time and a place because of that. What happened as a result of that, as a result of that. And in the end, the fourth tip is don't ramble. That's really good advice. One bit of advice I've had from my video coach is that one should also have a call to action in the middle to catch the people who aren't going to go to the end. I think that's really good advice. Completely agree. You've just given me a tip myself. Excellent. Let's go on to the fifth tip. Fourth. Fourth tip. There are three types of people who do maths, and them that can and them that can't. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what's the point in sending if they don't open it? So now that we've spoken about videos, we're going to move on to email marketing. So I'm going to share a couple of tips and two really good ones of how I have achieved a 65% email open rate on all my emails. Some of them 65%? 65%. That is outstanding. Well done. Fabulous stuff. Okay, listen up, folks. This sounds like it's going to be a good one. 
So the two tips I have here are titles and content. Let me explain. When I say titles, referencing the first point where we spoke about the importance of titles in your subject line, it's massively important to put an engaging title to grab people's attention. So work on your titles. Do the activity of three titles, three people, 30 days, and you'll become a title guru. So nail titles. And once you have title nails, here's the bit where most people fall off. Typically, the first email anyone sends out will receive higher open rate in the follow-up, second, third, fourth, and fifth. How to make sure you maintain that high open rate is within the second point I'm about to make on content. If I use the example of the Sandal world, anybody's familiar with it, there's a broad spectrum of content out there. But for most standard trainers, they send out a generic email that is trying to hit everyone with the one spoon or feed everyone with the one spoon. And I think you can, be, you can increase your open rate by being far more specific. So what I encourage all clients to do is to take a piece of paper and to draw three or four circles and write down the three or four areas that you want to be known for. So I'll give you an example. In my client's world, it might be they want to be known by sales leaders. They want to be known by recruitment people. They want to be known by sales enablement people. So once you've discovered your three to four areas, you'll then create specific content around those areas. So rather than send out one monthly generic email, I would send out three to four specific emails. Go through your LinkedIn database or whatever social media platform it is. On LinkedIn, I'll share with Mark as a video on how you can download your database. And once you've downloaded it into a spreadsheet, you can categorize those people into the correct category and send them content that they want to receive. So what you're saying here is the content needs to be relevant to the niche audience that you're targeting. Exactly. When your content and your titles are correct, your email open rate will skyrocket. So I really encourage people to download their LinkedIn database, if LinkedIn is their chosen platform, and to go through that spreadsheet. Again, I'll share a video with Marcus that he can share with everyone here of how to do that. So when you download that content, does it give you the information about the job titles, the company, and all that kind of information? gives you their name, their job title, and their company, and a couple of other bits. But those three are the ones you want to focus on. Okay, fabulous. And presumably, you need to personalize the emails with their names. Do you use first names or second names? I use first names. Okay, excellent. So, fifth tip. So, fifth one is a big one. It's how to go viral. I call it, if greed is good, then more is better. there's two tips I have here consistency and commenting so the first one consistency all social platforms reward those who are consistent and those who are consistent will always be rewarded again posting the right content to the right people is important but when you are consistent with your content you're building your name as a thought leader in your specific two, three, or four areas. So just to clarify that, when you're talking about consistency, is it consistency of content or consistency that you're frequently posting or both? Both. Okay. So what I do with my clients is when I take on a new client, I'll sit down and I'll have a weekly map out and I will say, on a Monday, we're going to share a podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to share a blog. On a Wednesday, we're going to share a video and so on and so forth. 
the reason that I alter the content is some people prefer reading blogs, some people prefer watching videos, some people only listen to podcasts because the 15-minute tram journey into work is the only free time they say they have. So that's effectively putting together a marketing calendar and populating that calendar with content. Presumably, this can also be, to a large extent, automated in terms of the output. A couple of great automation uh, tools to use if you're going on a holiday and you want to schedule your content. One that I've used in the past and still use is Octopost. O-K-O-S-T. O-K-T-O-S-T. A great scheduling service. And the more you use that service, it suggests content to you based on the content your readers consume. LinkedIn does this as well. If you have a LinkedIn business page, there is a new feature called communication or that you can find the content that your readers also like to consume. And one thing I always encourage clients to do is to share other experts-related content. So, for example, I've just posted a piece of content on a client's page that 14% of all hires are good hires. 14, you have a 14% chance of hiring the right person. In blackjack, you have a 40% chance of winning. <laughs> you have a higher percentage of chance of winning in a game of blackjack than you do of landing the right hire. Depressingly true and witnessed by a lot of scar tissue out in the market. Exactly. So there's, there's a couple of sources that I use for my information. If you're in the sales world, I recommend subscribing to MIT and Harvard Business Review, McKenzie.com, and, and the Divine Group are great for information. That last piece of information I referenced was from the Divine Group report. Um, so yeah, consistency is key. And sorry, can I just ask, the consistency, does that mean you post weekends as well or just Monday to Friday when your audience is likely to be there or is that a terrible assumption? No, that's a great question. I would post on Sundays as well. If you're trying to target business owners or vice presidents of sales or C-suite level people, as I say, Sundays are a great time. Typically, someone who owns a company will be on LinkedIn getting ready for Monday on a Sunday afternoon. So Sunday afternoon is a great time to post. That's a really interesting. And in terms of the other days, is there somewhere one can find out local information about what the best times of day to post are? So I've been doing this for 24 months. And from my experience, the best times to post hard consumable content. Let me explain what that means. Content that gets the brain thinking. So on Saturday, we might post content around the budget step or asking for referrals. It requires a lot of attention and for people to think and take notes. I would post that content on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I would leave Monday and Friday for a lot of softer content, so content that is factual-based from other experts, such as the uh, reference I made in terms of hiring. And I would post it for uh, sharing testimonials, content that does not require a lot of brain power or decision-making. As Monday, people are tending to get their week started and not consuming as much. And Friday... For the most part, people are switched off and either thinking about going home to their kids or going to the bar to have a beer. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And time of day, does that make a difference? I tend to switch between 10 to 10 a.m. and half 12 in the morning, afternoon. All right, okay, that's interesting. I was always taught 1 o'clock and 5.30. 
5.30 is a great time, especially if you have an international audience. And I find that quite a few of my clients are post for 3 o'clock as well, as we're trying to target different time zones. The second one, in terms of if greed is good, the more better, is commenting on your followers' content. This one so many people fail to do, and it takes so little time. I spend 15 minutes a day doing this. Now, mind you, it's my job, so you could spend five. But what I do is there's three types of people you could comment on. There's your followers. There's people who comment on your content. And then there's your competitors. So what I mean by that is if you leave a thoughtful comment on one of your followers' posts and you're building a, you're continuing to build a relationship there. And sometimes your content that you post can receive more engagement, comments on the needs or likes than the original content itself. And as a result, you can receive three, four, five connection requests and build even more relationships. And again, similar with your own content, I would always respond to anybody who's taken the time or effort to comment on my content. And then finally, in terms of competitors' content, I would implore everyone to go onto their social profiles and follow their competitors and leave thought-provoking questions or comments underneath their competitors' content. Not every single post, but the reason being is we've had success in the past where clients have left comments on competitors' posts. As a result, receive more engaging than the competitor themselves and they've received a number of connection requests and engaged and actually we've closed two clients as a result of this. Very good. Well, W. Edward Deming, the organizational guru, said that competition is not for more share of the market, but to expand the market. And I think you've just confirmed that. Exactly. Number six is avoiding snafus. It's the opposite of number five. Number five is how to go viral. And number six is what can prevent you from going viral. So three tips to avoid in not going viral. The first one is external links. Marcus, you referenced this earlier on in the podcast, and it was around LinkedIn selling advertising time based on the number of minutes people spend on the platform. So let me give you an example that I see that's quite common on LinkedIn. And the same goes for Facebook and other platforms. If we copy and paste a YouTube video onto LinkedIn, share it, that's seen as an external link because it's bringing people away. Again, another example, if we copy and paste a Harvard Business Review blog and share it on LinkedIn, that is seen as an external link because it is taking people away from the platform of LinkedIn. Now, Since LinkedIn are in control, they don't want people leaving their platform because that's how they make money based on view time and watch time. So they will decrease the organic reach of your post. So refrain from sharing external links. LinkedIn have made it so easy for you to do everything you need to within the platform. So referencing the video example of YouTube, download that video from YouTube and re-upload it natively to LinkedIn. A great example here in the Sandler Summit, which myself and Marcus just attended in Orlando, there was a promotion video for that. And I shared the YouTube URL on a client's LinkedIn page and received 108 views on that piece of content. I changed nothing different. Same time, same day, a week later. Uploaded it repeatedly to LinkedIn and I got 11,800 views. 
Wow. I just work with the platform rather than against the platform. That makes a lot of sense. So the next one is emails. So emails posted in a status update are also seen as an external link. There's two reasons why I will not share my email direct in a post. Number one, I want to avoid spam bots picking it up and my inbox being filled up with irrelevant emails. And two, I don't want it as an external link. Anybody follows me, they'll notice that I do include my email in posts, but I include it in a smart way. My name is Ryan, so I will write my email as Ryan, open bracket, AT, close bracket, Sandler, open bracket, EOT, close bracket, com. That is avoiding getting picked up by bots and avoiding the uh, LinkedIn bugs picking it up as well and noticing it is an external link. And then finally, tagging connections. Now, I'm not saying don't tag connections. In fact, I encourage people to tag connections, but we're tagging numerous connections and not giving them a heads up or not having them as a colleague. If you tag irrelevant people just to increase the reach of your content and those people aren't people who regularly interact with your content, LinkedIn will see you as trying to what I call grow tag and they will, again, reduce the organic reach or, as I say, prevent you from going viral. So those are my three tips. So does that count also if you tag people in the comments section? Not as much, no. I would always implore, I don't have statistics of that, but I would always, always encourage people to build a relationship with those that they're tagging. I don't mind tagging colleagues as I know I'll see them three or four times a year and um, what helps me helps you. And then the seventh tip I have to share is called the slingshot effect. Now, I've shared how to go viral. I've shared what can prevent you from going viral. But what if I shared how you could go viral before you've even created the content or before you even post the content? So what I mean by this is I'm going to share two examples from the Sandler world. There's a podcast. We'll use Marcus's podcast that you're listening to right now as an example, the Inquisitor podcast. If I was in Marcus's shoes and I wanted to increase the number of people listening to, let's say, this podcast, what I would do is I would take a snippet of it, a 60 to 90 second snippet, and share it on my platforms that uh, are getting engagement and say, if you want to listen to the full podcast, comment this below and I'll send it to you. That way before, or if you want early access to a podcast I just recorded with Ray Lanigan, comment yes or email mkerkeatsana.com and I will send you an early access copy. People love early access copies. When I do it, I typically get 50 to 60 emails in a separate email that I've created for early access podcasts. So pre-promotion in terms of podcasts, which then when you post, you can tag those people in it. There's an example of how you can tag that's okay and you generate more and more eyeballs on your content. And an example of that in the blogging world is if I write a blog on how to generate referrals and I know that next week or next month, I'm going to write a blog on the budget step, how to talk about money. Why would I not post in the bottom of that blog, hey, now, you change the words. We wouldn't say it as informal. It says, hey, next week I'm writing a blog on the budget step where I discuss how to talk about money. If you want to be notified, I would comment yes below. So 
I've had what more, what more encouragement do you want than knowing that 100, 1,000 people have asked to read your blog that you've not even yet scripted a week in advance? How encouraged would you be if you knew, if you knew that 100 of the right people were waiting to read your blog on the budget step a week from now? Genius. Folks, before we go on, let me just give Rian a quick stroke here. I mean, this is being amazing. I've learned so much. And I mean, over the last couple of years, you've taught me a lot, but this is just gold dust, outstanding stuff. I know people who've been in digital marketing agencies who do the tenth of this and they get paid big bucks. So this is gold. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. So number eight, you bring the audience, I'll bring the candy. You don't need a large audience. So this is for people who have a small audience or are starting out in business to how to amplify their message or to bring them to the same level as their competitors on a social platform. I'm going to use this example here, seeing as this is an English podcast. If we take Marcus's podcast again, Marcus, may I ask you a question? What are, what's your demographic for people listening to this podcast? My target audience is CEOs, owners in the Southeast who are looking to scale their business at speed without losing control. So would it be fair to say that you get several hundred or a thousand downloads for every podcast that you put out? I think that's probably optimistic at this stage, but that's where we're headed. So I'm going to be applying a load of the tips that I got today to help. So if you use your podcast as an example or use any other podcast in England that has an audience, whether it's several hundred people or several thousand people listening to there's a way that you can leverage that. So imagine if you are the owner of a company and you're trying to target CEOs and directors. Marcus County has a podcast with several listeners to it. So if I was you, I would direct message Marcus and ask to be a guest on his podcast, provide value to Marcus. So a topic that Marcus might be interested in hearing more about is, and then once we find out what topic that Marcus is interested in hearing more about. We direct message him and ask him, can we be a, po- a guest on his podcast? So to bring it back a step and let me explain exactly what I mean by this, we find someone that has the attention of our buyers, we approach them and we provide value to them in exchange for borrowing their audience. As a result of doing this, I've increased the client's behavior by over 2,000 followers in 24 hours. Wow. I take an example of a podcast in the UK that has 600,000 monthly listeners of sales reps and sales managers. If I'm a Sandler franchise owner, it would be silly of me not to be a guest on that podcast at least once because I'm talking to my ideal customers. I exchange value, Sandler sales content, the greatest sales content out there, in return for borrowing an audience. The guest is always looking for content to provide to his, value, to his followers. So if I'm a standard franchise owner, I will be a guest on his podcast. Apply that example to your world. And if you're struggling to find out where you can find the correct podcast, Google is your best friend. Google top podcast in Milton Keynes, top podcast in Cambridge. Direct message of how you can provide value to that podcast host in return for borrowing an audience. That makes a lot of sense. I shall be doing more of that. One final point on that is I have seen a lot of people being carried away 
with point number eight and then switch off from a completely as a business owner you've always got to remember that the more time you spend in no pay time activity the worse it is so i would encourage people to limit this to once a month if you're on a podcast that has 20,000 of the right people, once a month is absolutely fine. In fact, even once a quarter could be good enough as you want to increase the amount of time you spend on pay time activities. As if you are on three or four a week, you'll notice the difference in your business, having been away from your business for five or six extra hours a week. In fact, to be a guest on a one-hour podcast, I would encourage people, I would say that that's going to take four hours out of your day if you're to interview E. If you're the interviewer to do a one-hour podcast, probably takes about eight hours of your day in total from reading the author's book to ask to uh, getting the right questions ready and so on and so forth. So don't overdo point number eight. Okay, that's good advice. Point number nine, skinning the cat. What I mean by this is, and I'm talking about the money here, how to create, how to generate more money with the same time and effort. So I'm going to give an example from the blogging world here. Let's say I write a blog that is two and a half thousand words on how to generate referrals. I could publish that as one blog and I could get a thousand views on it. Now, I could get a thousand views on one blog. Very good. Or I can break that two and a half thousand word blog into a six small part series and generate a thousand views on each. Now, that's been a little unfair on ourselves because if we've used any of the previous eight tactics, but every micro blog we publish will be increasing from 1,000 to 1,500 views on each one of them. But for argument's sake, six micro blogs with 1,000 views on each is 6,000 views. So in example B, we have 6,000 views by breaking it into six small blogs. In example A, we have 1,000 views by doing one large blog. If at the bottom of that blog, I'm promoting a webinar on referrals and I get 10% of the people in the first example, a thousand readers, if I get 10% of those people to attend the webinar, I'm going to get 100 people to attend the webinar. In the second example, if I get 10% of 6,000 people, I'm going to get 600 people to attend my webinar. Now, in the Sandler world, we run events. Out of the 600 people that attend the webinar, if I get 10% of them to attend my event, that's 60 people. In the example where there's 100 people on the webinar, that's 10 people have attended my event. Now, breaking it down further, because money matters, in the example of 60 people attending my event, if I close 10% of them and have new clients, that's 60 clients. In the first example, 10% of 10 is one. So by breaking up my content, I've generated six new clients, zero extra time and zero extra effort. In the first example, I've got one new client. Now imagine a new client is worth 5,000 to you. Well, in the first example, I've just generated 5,000 pounds from one blog. But in the second example, I've generated 30,000 pounds from one blog with minimal extra time and effort, skinning the cat. Fabulous. My God, you're brilliant. Okay, next. The final tip, Emerson's Law of Compensation. Give, then, get. Notice the importance of the order of those two words. It's not get, get, then give. It's give, then get. From my time working with a lot of standard franchise owners, I've noticed a number of common things. And one of the most common things I've noticed is 
people asking for others people's information before providing any value. You look at any of the top marketing gurus that are really good. Now, taking a step back here, for the most part, the reason why marketing is undervalued, as I referenced at the start, either niece or nephew, but another good point is that most marketing people are admin people. At very best, they're just admin people. But if we look at the top marketing people out there, they reference this point, Emerson's Law of Compensation, time and time and time again. So for anyone who's familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, he wrote a book called Job, 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 Right Hook, which is essentially give, 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 then get. So let me explain. Sandler collabed with LinkedIn to write a book on social selling secrets. If I'm a Sandler franchise owner, I would publish that book on LinkedIn and rather than ask people to go to a landing page and fill out their email to get the book, I would send it to them in an email format or a direct message. So give them the content without having to give away any email information. Now, before everyone panics and says, okay, Reen, but they're not going to be in my CRM system. You've not built enough trust and rapport yet to allow them into your CRM system. You want a healthy pipeline. You don't want a large pipeline. Fewer of the right people is better than lots of medium people. Absolutely. So to make sure that we're getting the right kind of people in our pipeline, we want to restrict access. You control access, so you should be giving access to the right type of people. So when I've sent the LinkedIn ebook to people on behalf of my clients, I'll probably wait 24 hours now, I've already given them value by providing the ebook. My follow up might sound something like, Hey, Marcus, hope you found some value in the LinkedIn ebook. I was wondering if you had any questions. P.S. I'm actually running a 45 minute webinar where I dwell more into pain one, pain two, pain three. Be very specific with the person you're writing to and pick three pains that they suffer from. If you're interested in attending, it's completely free. You can sign up via the link here. Now, if they're interested and they sign up, now they're in your CRM. You provided value to them, not once, twice, by giving them the webinar. Then you get them in your CRM. Now they're a much warmer prospect than someone you've just got to download. Anybody can use the link to download the book by filling in their information. But if they go to the webinar, now you know they're interested. And the beauty of it is... If 100 people comment looking for your LinkedIn ebook, you can send it to all of them. You can choose who you follow up with to invite to the webinar. So again, you stay in control of who you invite to the webinar because you want to be spending 45 minutes of your time with the right people, not everyone and anyone. Emerson's conversation. Absolutely. Well, it also ties in with the Sander rule, which is not everyone qualifies to be a prospect. Too often, people throw mud at the wall. And sales needs to be efficient. I have a slightly different version, which is double the money for half the work. Do less, but better on purpose. And it's really about being efficient. To be perfectly honest, my average day is around two hours of real work. I do other stuff and I work longer hours than that. But I'm doing the stuff I really enjoy. And it never feels like work. But the actual you know, hard slog effort is about two hours a day. And we did over half a million quid last year. 
with that level of input because I've followed so many of the tips that you've given me using LinkedIn as a content production process in order to attract and engage people. And it's been uh, fabulous because I am naturally lazy. I'm not going to put any bones on that. If I can do less and get paid more, I want to find that way. So a critical question I would always recommend people ask themselves is what can I do to make my life easier or simpler today? How can I do less and get paid more? And too often people think that you get more successful by working harder. I've been selling now for 32 years and I've got to be honest, I used to work so hard and I'm sure it almost put me into an early grave. But now I work far, far less, get paid way, way more. And you can bypass that 32 years of scar tissue if you follow the advice that Rian's given today. Have you got any parting thoughts in terms of how to become an efficient marketeer and stop wasting your time on the wrong end of the problem? I do have a tip, Marcus. And the one tip I have is to plan your day in advance. And every single night before I go to bed, I will write out the tasks that I must to get done and I would like to get done. And when I come into the office the next morning, I know everything that I have to do so that I can get all my musts done. And then if I have any free time at the end, I will get my likes to have done. And that's the way I'm most efficient. I also segment time to uh, check my emails so that I'm not constantly checking my emails. So I have a specific time that I respond to emails on. Excellent. That's another fantastic tip. I think people tend to be wondering generalities instead of meaningful specifics. And as a result, they spend an awful lot of time doing stuff that doesn't advance them. And in doing that, what they find is that the end of the day comes and they've produced nothing. And if you always aim to finish at least three meaningful tasks a day, that's 15 a week, somewhere between 60 and 75 a month. And over the course of a year, that's just shy of, I don't know, seven, 800. That's an awful lot of activity and action that you've taken. Because what I see happen in businesses all the time is they work harder and harder, but produce nothing and they have nothing left at the end of the day in their bank account. So the tips that you've shared today will put money in people's pockets. So grateful. Thank you. A quick question then. I would say, what would you advise your younger self to do? But if you were starting your business again two years ago, what would you do differently? Great question. Um, I would, as I just said, plan my day in advance. Uh, And a great tip that you actually shared with me recently was to listen more. I would, as you referenced, count to 12 as the average sales rep uh, cannot withstand silence for more than 0.6 seconds, or I can't remember what the figure That's was it. that you yep. shared with me. Six of a second. Truly depressing. Once you learn to uh, stay silent longer than the other person, the amount of information you will hear that you wouldn't have heard if you would interrupted and asked the question is huge. And I've already employed it uh, within 12 hours of hearing this tip from Marcus, and it's made massive changes to my business. Fantastic. I would ask for a commission, but that would be cheeky. 
So what are the top three to five books that you would recommend people read around marketing or understanding human behavior? It all really comes down to psychology. So there's a couple of books you need to be, you need to have the right habits. So a great book is The Power of Habit by Charles Doug. Another book that I recommend to read is Robert Cialdini that talks about the psychology of how to get people to say yes. And he's an expert in his field. Two more books, Gary Vaynerchuk, Jab, 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 Right Hook. And finally, David Sandler, You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike. You're covering all four areas there. You're covering habits, psychology, sales, and marketing with those four books. Excellent. So I have to say, I think you've missed one particularly good book, which is Making Channel Sales Work, but I'll forgive you for that. Ryan, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and always I'm in awe. The wealth of experience that you've managed to garner in such a short space of time. And it's just a joy to see you in action. So thank you very much. Any parting words to the listeners in terms of how they can get hold of you? Press that subscribe button to Marcus's podcast. <laughs> so Sander Franchisees, because Ryan works exclusively with Sander Franchisees, Get in touch with Rian Lanigan via his uh, email on Sandler or on LinkedIn. And if any of you have any questions, then please write in and we'll definitely be having Rian back. Rian, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Marcus.